Things, a podcast and radio show from the David A. Howe Public Library. I'm Nick Gunning. Well, it's the midst of April, which is Poetry Month, so I can't do an episode without my friend Malika Costa. Malik, welcome back. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. I'm I mean, to get used to this. I know. I think. I mean, you're contractually obligated. I think whenever Poetry Month rolls around, to, uh, yes, I, to I do an it. episode. Good. Well, that's good. That's why you're here. You. Today, we're going to be talking about Phyllis Wheatley. So, Phyllis Wheatley is a poet from the Revolutionary War era, the first Black woman published. Yes. Uh, which is pretty pretty amazing slice of history there. Later this month, we have a special guest speaker, Dr. Phil Richards, who's going to be talking all about Phyllis Wheatley. But Malik and I are going to get into it just a little bit here and highlight some of her poetry and her interesting and very tragic life. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, let's open up our books, see where our bookmarks are. Malik, what have you been reading lately? Anything interesting? Lately, I've been uh, really on the Phyllis Wheatley biography. Okay, sure. You know, just doing a lot of research on her. Okay. Uh, surprisingly, I had never heard of her. Okay. Until, no, I hadn't either, you know, honestly. This, yeah. This last year. Yeah. And uh, that was a tragedy because she's an amazing woman. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating story. We'll get into all that in a minute. Yeah. But yeah, I agree. Uh, the more I read, the more I was like, what? Right. Like, how is, there, how is there not a movie about exactly. this? You know what I mean? It's like, just... how did this slip through the cracks? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. um, have you been watching anything interesting? I have been watching the new DC movie. Uh-huh. Um, the... Like the Snyder Cut? Yeah, the Snyder Cut. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. But you already know it's, it's like almost four hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm, I have to watch it in like yeah, yeah. Luckily, it's broken up. Are you enjoying it? I love it, yeah. Do you? Oh, yes, good. Yes. Okay. I, I'm a real DC uh, fan. Yeah. Um, I like the first movie. And it's kind of uh, just like the first movie. Um, it's a, it was a, a lot more similar than I thought it was going to be, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and the tail end of it, there's uh, the differences are a lot more stark. But right. I just, I would have liked it a little shorter, if I'm yeah. being honest. I feel like a lot of what's in there almost feels like, it feels like every second of footage shot. You know what I mean? It doesn't feel like even <laughs> right. even a bit is, is uh, cut out. And sometimes I feel like, okay, well, that scene ended 10 minutes ago, but here we are still. But. Uh, so have you been a fan of all of them, like Batman v yes, Superman, it, uh, all that? Batman versus Superman, really? uh, the first movie, the Wonder Woman movies. Yeah, Wonder I, Woman. I've yeah. been a real fan of all of them. I particularly liked the uh, the new slate of DC movies. I particularly liked the first Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Birds of Prey. I've oh, been yeah, a little on the play. fence with the other ones, honestly. I yeah. I was not a fan of Batman v Superman, and I don't know. I don't know where we're going next. You right. know, I mean, I know the the Rock is doing Black Adam and. Um, supposedly sequels to Wonder Woman and Aquaman are still in the works. And of course right. the Flash movie, which I am excited about. Yes. But yes. all right, so you're digging into the Snyder Cut. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and uh, I think a lot of people don't realize with DC, yeah. uh, they haven't like really been successful with True. a lot of their movies. That's for sure. But they have so many little miniseries. Yeah. Like on CW, oh, yeah. all you see is just all these DC, it's a whole DC yeah. universe. So you can't miss it. If you're into DC, you know, you definitely want to check it out. I'm still loving Superman and Lois. I'm up to date on Batwoman, yeah, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. It's, I mean, there's plenty of DC content out oh, there, yeah. for better or worse. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's hit and miss, but it's definitely there. Yeah. 
So uh, if you if you're noticing, everyone, we both have our masks on because oh. we're responsible, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so hot in here that the windows open. So this right. is kind of a it's it's an exciting audio quality sound that we're that we're going for here. But uh, let's let it ride. Yeah. I too have been reading Phyllis Wheatley biographies and Phyllis Wheatley poems, but I finished a few things I wanted to mention. Once mm-hmm. was a biography of Colin Jost. I've I've always been a Saturday Night Live fan. Did you ever get into Saturday Night Live? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. I I mean, wait, date, dating back to probably like junior high when we would stay up late, like right. to be bad, you know, and watch <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Oh yeah. But uh, I just I, I listened to actually an audiobook, Colin Jost's audiobook, A Very Punchable Face, and it was just it was interesting all around, you know, just his his career and how you get to be the head writer at SNL. The behind the scenes stuff was all cool. But what I didn't realize was that his mother was the chief medical officer of the New York City Fire Department during 9-11. Oh, so she was like the highest ranking woman like in the New York City Fire Department, like maybe ever. Oh, wow. And so it takes a turn where it just gets really deep and goes in a direction that you don't expect. So I thought it was a good read, and I particularly enjoyed the audiobook version of that. Okay. And, and he was the writer of Saturday Night Live? He's, the, he's currently the head writer on SNL, and he and Michael Che host uh, Weekend Update okay. together. Yeah, okay. right now. I'm currently reading a book called Black Buck by Matteo Ascarapur, and this is, I guess you'd call it a satire. It's about a guy who is like a manager at Starbucks, and he sort of successfully upsells this corporate type, and the corporate guy is like, you got to come work for me. And so he goes from like working at Starbucks to working in this big undefined corporate landscape. And it's kind of a send up on Wall Street and big corporations and things. I don't I I, I'm withholding judgment till I get to the end of it. But I don't I don't know that the satire is like fully landing for me yet. But we'll see. We'll see. Have you been reading any other poetry this month since it is the month of poetry? Uh, Well, we Originally, we was talking about <laughs> doing some uh, Rupi Carr. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have jumped into her latest book. Okay. Um, That's actually, the only one I haven't read. Yeah, actually, it was similar to the uh, Milk and Honey okay. and, and some of her other material. And uh, actually, I've been seeing it get checked out here, oh, good. too. So, yeah. You know, I, had, I hadn't read her before. I mean, obviously, we have the books because I feel like she's been among the most popular poets oh, yeah, of, for sure you know it's it's the one that you always see at like target and places like that right. they usually don't highlight poetry but somehow ruby cower i think is like sort of uh cracked that list are you a fan did you like it oh yeah okay. oh yeah it, from the first time i read her material it you know it's a little uh touchy some sure, content. A, lot, a lot of content about sexual uh, assault right, so it's, right. it's kind of a rough read but yeah. um like when you watch her, uh, some of her interviews and, oh. and her story, it's more of her just trying to empower women. Yeah. And, you know, really trying to put a, a brave face on yeah. talking about if things is happening to you. Yeah. And, you know, and you kind of scared or intimidated to talk about it. She's just trying to, you know, put a, a light in a space to where women can feel safe talking about, yeah. you know. Well, she certainly on. she certainly doesn't hold things back. And, right. And like I said, I mean, it really has sort of cracked above where a poetry collection tends to you know what i mean like for whatever reason her collection seemed to have transcended not just poetry fans but you know the average reader seems to be picking it up 
I think the mistake I made was reading Milk and Honey and The Sun and Her Flowers like back to back because they're very similar. Right. They are. They're very, very similar. So much to the point that I, I read one and I listened to the audiobook of the other. And more than once, I went and checked to make sure that I didn't, that I wasn't <laughs> read reading the same, the same one right, because right. I genuinely thought that I was. So they are very similar. So I would. I would recommend some space between the two readings because, again, a lot, a lot of familiar themes and imagery in both of those. Right. I also read one called American Melancholy by Joyce Carol Oates. Have you read any of her poems? No, I haven't. Okay. So she, w- she came here uh, to the library back in 2014, and I read a ton of her stuff then. And every year I've read one of her poetry collections since then. I always enjoy them. They're always weird. Like, that's just her hallmark is is weird and sort of finding a darkness and even mundane things. American Melancholy was a little bit more modern, I think, than a lot of her other poetry. Like it, it felt a little bit more, I don't know how to explain it. It was just more about everyday kind of stuff than she typically writes about. So okay. interesting on that end. But Is it um, a newer uh, It's brand book? new. Yeah, oh, okay. American Melancholy From just, like 2020 just came out. 21, yep. okay. 21, I think. Oh, I nice. think, yeah. I definitely want to check that out. Yeah, well, it's sitting right here on my desk. So, yeah, you're welcome to it. All right. uh, I'm trying to think if I've watched anything interesting. I don't really think I have. We haven't really, like I I said, I've been, Superman and Lois has been my appointment TV lately. I I watched the first episode and it was really good. So, I I definitely want to continue. We just got a trial of Apple Plus or Apple TV and started watching Ted Lasso, which is pretty funny. Jason Sudeikis, he's. He's a football coach who from America who gets hired to be like the you know European football or soccer coach uh, in England, and it's uh, it's really it's funny and it's like heartwarming in ways you don't expect. So I'd only heard good things about it, so I was excited to uh, to start watching that. But yeah. that's what I've been up to. And that's that you said Apple Plus. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. There's so many good. I kept like looking for certain kinds of shows. And I kept being like, oh, what about this on Apple Plus? And finally, I was like, darn it, you got me. Ah. So we're trying the week, and maybe we'll keep it for a month or two to get through some of the uh, some of the shows. Because it was really easy to fill up my two-watch list on that. Cause... Yeah, because I have it, too. Oh, okay. Um, Are you watching anything on well, it? Well, is this movie uh, that I've been... I watched the trailer maybe six months ago. Uh, it's with Jason Momoa. It's, it's called C. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's the only main reason why I okay. got the Apple TV. So... I'm watching some things now, but yeah. that's the that's what I'm that's really excited to okay. watch. Yeah. I did see that. And I've heard really good things about it. Yeah, yeah, I have too. I have too. Yeah. I like him. I haven't seen him in anything, but I have only seen him as Aquaman, but yeah. I do really like him. <laughs> yeah, he's, so, he's good. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get into some book news. Look into the future to see what it proves. It's time for book news. First, we got some sad book news, so let's cover that because... Okay. We had three authors die pretty close together. Now, we had Margaret Wander Bonanno, who's most known for her sci-fi work. I've read some of her Star Trek titles. She just passed away. And then, really, back-to-back, we had Larry McMurtry, who I was most familiar with, like, Lonesome Dove and his westerns and things. We did a whole western episode in the early days of the All the Book show, uh, number 35, All the Books Goes West. Talked a little bit about some Larry McMurtry stuff in there. And then Beverly Cleary. Did you ever read Beverly Cleary as a kid? I have. I have. I know that I've read some of the Ramona books, but the ones that always stand out to me are The Mouse and the Motorcycle. Yeah. Like all of those books. I read them (laughs) a million times as a kid, and I just loved them. Yeah. So, yeah, just back to back to back. So we've got displays of these authors' works uh, set up right here in the library, so stop in and check them out sometime. 
Uh, let's see what's going on on the New York Times bestseller list. I thought maybe we could look at the combined print and ebook fiction since it seems like people still being a little homebound. The, uh, the ebook fiction might be a little bit more representative of what people are actually like doing at this okay. moment. Uh, Malik, you want to hit us with that list? Okay, the list. We have number 10, The Invisible Life of Addie Laurel. That's been on there for 19 weeks. So yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, that's a pretty popular author. Oh, yeah. Then at number nine, we have Clara and the Sun. And it's uh, an artificial friend named Clara is purchased to serve as a companion to a 14-year-old girl. Oh, yes. Okay. I keep seeing this book pop up all over the place, but I didn't really know what it was about. But okay, that's interesting. So it's vaguely sci-fi. Yes. And that's been on for five weeks. Yeah, that's been around for a while. At number eight, uh, we have The Songs of Achilles. Oh, yes. By Madeline Miller. I read her first book, Circe. Do you remember when that came out? I remember it. Yeah, vaguely. We did that for a book club, and it it was just one of those books that was suddenly a bestseller, and it was like, oh, okay. Uh, It was super popular in a way that that kind of book typically isn't so it was interesting so here we're kind of returning to that right anything with uh like greek mythology is usually does really good so this is a redo of the iliad is that right yeah that's been on there for three weeks okay so then we have later by stephen king and that is uh nypd detective asked the son of a struggling single mother to use his unnatural abilities to track a killer. Ooh. That sounds good. I know, it does. This is one of those hard case crime books, you know? And that imprint always does things that are sort of, they're reminiscent of like 70s detective stories, which I always really like. So the only other one Stephen King has done of these is one called The Colorado Kid, which I really liked. It was more of a novella. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was the basis for that show Haven. Do you remember that yeah. on Sci Fi? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember Haven. That kind of spun out of Stephen King's The Colorado Kid. Oh, you know what? He also did one called Joyland, which I haven't read. So I guess this is his third oh, for okay. Hard Case Crime. But it's on my list of two reads, definitely. Okay, and that's been on for five weeks. Yep. Uh, next, at uh, number six, we have Win by uh, Harlan Coben. Yeah, I've read a couple of his things, and I. There was one that was a bit like a medical thriller. I think it was called Miracle Cure. And that one I really liked. But his most prominent series is uh, the Bolitar series about a sports agent who like solves mysteries. But didn't re- I didn't really care about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> so, care about that. You know. <laughs> That's been on for three weeks. Okay. Uh, at number five, we have Where to Crawl That Sing. Oh, boy. By Delia Owens. Oh, my gosh. Which has been... 124 like, weeks. Uh, yes. This thing. You just that, can't kill it. That is... I I've, I've, haven't seen a book do like this in, in a while. No. Yeah, no. This I, is amazing. I honestly can't think of another one that's like... I mean, the, the Nightingale by Kristen Hanna was close, but I right. think this is even more than that, so... At number four, uh, we have The Midnight Library oh, by yeah. Matt Haig. Yeah. And that's been on for 18 weeks. Mm-hmm. Number three, we have The Four Winds by Christian Hanna. There we go, Christian Hanna. Yeah, that's been on for nine weeks. Mm-hmm. It's another historical fiction, I think, which she tends to. The Nightingale was historical fiction. The Great Alone was as well, but that was um, that was a Vietnam War era. So it sounds like this one's Great Depression. Yeah, well, uh, as the dust storms roll during the Great Depression, yep. Elsa must choose between saving the family and the farm or heading west. I know you're you're not much of a fiction guy. Do you read any non or any historical fiction or is that uh, like historical fiction every now and then okay. I, I'll touch on something yeah. if it looks interesting to okay. me. Yeah. 
at uh, number two is The Red Book by James Patterson and David Ellis. Mm. That's a new book. So yeah. it's new this week. Oh, okay. And at number one, we have The Hills We Climb by Amanda Gorman. Oh, yes. So this was the poem that was read at the inauguration, the presidential inauguration in 2021. And there was so much like fervor around it. And she didn't have anything in print like that. Oh, really? the, the poem was kind of her like first big thing. And she has a children's book coming out. But people were so taken with that poem. Everybody was kind of rushing to buy whatever she had out there. And right. she didn't really have anything out there. So uh, her children's book, I think, is coming, I don't know, this summer, I believe. But they're putting out this special bound version that's essentially just that one poem illustrated so yeah yeah i'm not surprised to see that here at the top of the list though technically poetry is would be cataloged as nonfiction, so i don't know why it's on the fiction list but right whatever and and she's the youngest i guess to you know ever write an inaugural yeah she is she is that's that's a feat right there. pretty amazing all around yes definitely Okay, a lot of good stuff there. Anything in there pique your interest? I should have done nonfiction because that's your jam. But. Yeah, yeah. But um, actually, um, which one was it? Uh, historical fiction. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Four Winds, the Great the Depression. Four Winds, yeah. That one I, I, I might check out. Okay. Yeah. With that, I think it is Poetry Month time, so let's do it. Poetry. So this is... <laughs> This, this journey to do this, uh, this Phyllis Wheatley program that we're doing, so later this month on April 22nd at 7 o'clock right here at the library uh, in the exhibition room, masks and social distance, of course, right. we're going to have Dr. Phil Richards come and talk about Phyllis Wheatley. And there's a long history about this. And our journey with the, getting this program going started back in 2018, if you can believe it or not. Uh, we were awarded this grant through the Gilder Lerman Institute for American History uh, as part of this program they're doing called Revisiting the Founding Era. Okay. So the purpose was it, the purpose of it was to do programming centering on you know the, the Revolutionary War era. Okay. And you were supposed to do programs for like youth and a program for adults or just the general public. So we got this grant in 2018. It was Emmett Kirsch uh, did most of the work on it with Eric Mickles providing some input for the teen section of it. <laughs> it's been so long ago that right. both Emmett and Eric have even moved on <laughs> from now. Uh, the grant we was awarded in 2018, the funds didn't become available until 2020. So we, we couldn't do anything with it until right. 2020. So then we started doing that. And Eric led a book club uh, at one of the local schools, high schools, for uh, Gary Paulson's book, The Woods Runner, which is set during the Revolutionary War. It's fiction, but it's one of those ones where, like, this character we're following is fictional, but the events and the situations that he's in are all nonfiction. Right. So, and it also sort of in between each chapter had a section of just, like, Revolutionary War history to give you kind of context for the story. So it worked really well for the teen book club because the story is interesting and it does have a lot of historical content. Right. So we did that forever ago, and Eric and I did a, a spotlight uh, episode 238 of the All the Books show where we talked about Woods Runner and all of Gary Paulson's other things. So we did that. That was the teen part. That was done in 2020. And then I was looking through the, the booklet we were given, which had a bunch of different topics, different historical figures that we could focus on, and I zeroed in on Phyllis Wheatley. Oh. So I was looking for somebody who could do a program on Phyllis Wheatley, and I was doing some research on her. And I read this article 
called uh, Phyllis Wheatley, Americanization, the Sublime and the Romance of America, which was by Philip Richards. Uh, it was in uh, the, mag- uh, the journal called Style uh, under a section for uh, African-American poetics. So I, I read this article and I was looking at, you know, looking into the author a little bit. And it turns out he was only a couple hours away from where we are. So I reached out to Dr. Richards about coming to do a talk. And he was like, yes, absolutely. Let's do it. So we scheduled that for February of 2020 to sort of tie it in with Black History Month. But he was supposed to come the weekend that we had the big blizzard, like travel advisory. So we had to cancel it. I remember that. I was so excited. I know. Looking forward to it. So we we postponed it and we decided, well, let's hold off until April. Then we can tie it in with Poetry Month and, you know, (laughs) still have kind of a hook for uh, marketing and everything. So we did that. And then, of course, COVID. Right. And so we had to cancel everything. And so finally, like when, you know, we reopened the main floor, the main area on March 29th, and we were like, boy, let's get that back on the schedule. So Dr. Richards was still game to do it. And we finally landed on April 22nd of 2021. But at this point, it's been three years. Yeah. Like it's been three years from the start of this grant to actually doing it. Wow. So. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I mean, Dr. Richards has a pretty stellar academic background. He's done tons of research on this. I mean, this is his specialty. So having him come and uh, do this uh, lecture on Phyllis Wheatley is really, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I encourage everybody to come today. Malika and I are just going to talk a little bit about, you know, what we've uncovered researching her and the poetry of hers that we read. Uh, So let's get into it. Now, Malik, you said that you'd never... This was not a historical figure or even just as a poet that you were familiar with, right? Not at all. Not at all. I, I, have, I had never heard of her. Yeah. There was a point where I was purposely looking into female poets. Okay. That's when I found like Rupi Carr mm-hmm. and a couple other people. But I, I still hadn't bumped into Phyllis Wheatley until yeah. I seen the flyer mm-hmm. that we was going to have the lecture mm-hmm. um, on her. Um, and that kind of just sparked my interest. Yeah. So from that point on, I started, you know, looking her up and doing yeah. some research. And the more I started to find out, you know, her story yeah. and, and all the things she's accomplished, it was surprising to me yeah. that this is not like a main figure. I know. In, in American history. Yeah. You know, like next to Frederick Douglass. Ex- absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Know? Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, surprising. But. It's definitely been a pleasure learning about I her. agree. I agree. So I, I read a couple things on her. One one was a biography, you know, kind of a brief biography called The Story of Phyllis Wheatley by Shirley Graham Dubois. And I also read, uh, this was this was more of a kid's book that I was reading with my son called Guide My Pen, The Poems of Phyllis Wheatley, which was by Greg Rosa. Okay. And both of those to me, particularly the, the Dubois biography, just drove home what what a unique set of circumstances this was. I mean, I mean, the basic story here is that she's abducted from Africa when she's what, six or seven. Right, around seven. Brought yeah. to Boston. The Wheatleys purchase her from a slave auction. And, I mean, I feel like the biography that I read, it was older, and I felt like it was a little... I don't know that I would that I would trust it so thoroughly because it made it seem like kind of an idyllic situation that they found this girl and nurtured yeah. her. And it was like, well, you bought her as a slave. So right. I, you're not really the heroes of the story, <laughs> uh, the Wheatleys. But within a year, she's reading and writing English, right. you know, which is amazing. I mean, just like right. learning a new language and be able to use it the way that she was able to use it as a child yes. is just astonishing. It, it really is. And then from there, I mean, you have the steps of her writing more and more, her getting noticed, her actually getting things published, going to England, meeting George Washington. 
It's insane. It, it really it's is. It's completely it's, insane. It, it's to the point now how are we talking about her right yeah. now. This is how the people of her time seen her. Yeah. Because when they seen her abilities and the yeah. way she spoke, the way she learned and you know how she wrote, it was astonishing yeah. to them that they, you know, in that time it was thought that um Africans, you yeah. know, wasn't intellectual yeah. and, and they wasn't smart. So to see someone so young you know a year and a half from being removed from yeah, africa it's crazy they you know all the high the scholars of that day and the poets was like just yeah it was to the point where everybody just had to come and see this yeah. like is this is this real yeah yeah and that's i think how that's she was so what struck what struck you about about her biography about her life like right at the beginning well the the first thing that really really struck me about this story that really hit home is I've heard a lot of stories about slavery in that time yeah. in, in American history. But what really struck home for me was this is the first story that I ever heard of of someone actually being taken from Africa mm. and then coming to being brought to the Americas yeah. and then having a life. Yeah. Starting a life. Most of the stories I heard uh, was people that was born into slavery, mm. kind of, you know, one day freedom some kind yeah, of way yeah but i had never really heard a story of someone that was abducted from yeah. africa well that young i mean yeah. that's that's the other thing yeah i mean the the fact that that you know her known story the fact that anybody thought to keep track of this story from dating from the time when she's seven i think is pretty unique oh it is you know it is and um from my understanding one of the wheatley's great grand niece or something okay. like that she's the one the only wheatley that actually wrote about Phyllis. oh okay okay yeah so that's where we get uh most of our information yeah. you know about her you know how she grew up yeah. and in her early days well the family i mean the, the, from from the stories and again i mean you're looking through the context of who wrote the story so it's right. really hard to say you know what the actual experiences were like but i think the generally accepted facts would be that the family was kind of taken with the fact that she was so bright right. and just took to things so instantly that they kind of gave her a better life than you know she might have expected right. given the horrible conditions of the time right and she still was very much lived her life as a slave you know i mean it wasn't like they were like go be free <laughs> but they i guess i guess what they did was sort of allowed her to be educated something that was not allowed for right. slaves typically particularly women right. I mean, they, they allowed her to do that, breaking right. with like the, the customs and, and what was, you know, sort of socially acceptable at the time. And because of that, she just kind of took that and flourished, you know, oh, yeah. so you kind of got a picture of the brilliance that she had just naturally and, right. and what she might have been if she hadn't been brought up as a slave. You know what right. I mean? Like there's just there's so many levels to the story. And so she gets her first poem published at what is a teenager right yeah uh we might have to unpack it a little bit yes <laughs> um, so basically to make a long story short she comes over on a ship named phyllis yeah oh that's so right that's Jeez. why they name her phyllis yeah and the wheatleys are the people that purchase her yeah. so that's where she gets her name phyllis wheatley from and as soon as they you know take her home they start to realize that she's different. She's yeah. really special and, yeah. and intelligent on a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. And they kind of catch her right in um, because she just has like this this hunger for yeah. knowledge. Yeah. And they notice that. And like you were saying earlier, 
more than anything, they they tried to flourish that part of yeah. her more than trying to make her uh, a servant. Yeah, which is unique. I mean, that's very unique. I mean, you I mean it wasn't against the law, right? But it wasn't socially acceptable. I would say frowned upon. Yeah, right, to, right. to let that you know, happen. In the South, it was against the law for Africans to learn to read and write and all that. Um, but it wasn't against the law in the North. But yeah. like you said, it was it wasn't socially yeah. acceptable. And I think just because of her brilliance, right. I mean, people would read the words, and there was just no denying no it, which denying. is still, I mean, for the time. I think, you know, I think that's still pretty uncommon that they oh, would yeah. they would allow that, you know, they would allow themselves to, you know, see that. That shows you how brilliant she had Absolutely. To be. Absolutely. Uh, not to mention, okay, she comes here and within 16 months she's writing poetry in English, yeah. Yeah. but she also knows Greek and Latin. Yeah. So she's been here 16 months yeah. and she knows three languages. And that's, I mean, that's just a, that's an indicator of like true genius. I feel right. like, you yeah. know, I mean, there's just, there's no way around that. So yes, her work is published, but in order to get it published, it's like she has to go through this series of tests because right. people won't believe that she actually wrote it. And right. so the, the collection that I read, which was called Poems of Various Subjects, Religious and Moral, which was her that's first, her first and book. really like the only one that truly came out like during her lifetime. Right. Um, but the, but the all the lead up was like all of these like white men being like no I tested her and I swear she wrote this you yeah know? yeah because that um, that was one of the things they had yeah you know and then she's taken to England you know and that's where the book is actually published and right. you know she's treated obviously much better right. you know in in England and only comes back to the states when Mrs Wheatley is sick and she right. kind of comes back to care for her and everything and that kind of you got to kind of wonder like what would have happened if she would have stayed in England, you know, where she that, was kind of mm, thriving. That's something that really struck me too. Yeah. Also uh, just about her character. Yeah. Um, so she goes to England to, well, she, she meets up, she starts going to church yeah. while she's in Boston mm-hmm. and she meets this uh, reverend mm-hmm. and her and the reverend become pretty good friends. Yeah. So once he, but he's from England. Yeah. So once he realizes how good of a writer she is, she can't get published in Boston, mm-hmm. you know, because of yeah. the racism and everything. Right, right. So they kind of sponsor her and take her over to England mm-hmm. to try to get her work uh, published. Yeah. And when she gets there, she's treated like an equal. Yeah. And in England, she's free. Yeah. Um, so basically, at that point, she gets her books published yeah. and she's a free woman. Mm-hmm. And still, despite all that, her love for... Susanna Wheatley and Mrs. Wheatley, she falls ill and, you know, she feels compelled to come back to the colonies at a pretty pretty big her. personal cost for yeah, Phyllis. She doesn't do know if you yeah. know she's gonna get her freedom. I mean well, she again, eventually we're, ends up we're right on the verge of the Revolutionary War right, also. So right. that's like it's not a great time to be, <laughs> you know, going back and forth. But yeah. So she comes back and still has some pretty amazing moments. I mean she writes oh, a letter yeah. to George Washington. Yes staying like fight the good fight and stay true she has like a summit with george washington and yes, meets him some. and yes. kind of takes him to task about slavery a little bit you yeah. know where she's like you're sitting here talking to me treating me as an equal because i'm this writer right and i look around and there's slaves everywhere like how right. do you how do you reconcile those two things right. and he's like yeah good point you know and then just continues on <laughs> uh but pretty amazing i mean yeah, pretty it, amazing it that she had that opportunity right. and she and she took it yeah definitely know, just is, just the fact um he was so impressed that he was willing to meet her yeah. he, she wrote him a letter he responded to her yeah. letter 
And then he, you know, he invited her for a meeting, yeah. which is something that uh, George Washington had never done yeah. before. He had, you know, he had yeah. never treated a, a black person as an equal. Yeah. But he was willing to meet her. And like you said, her, her writings were so powerful and compelling that it raised the question. Yeah. And I always say, you know, even more than, you know, being proactive and, and arguing about things, sometimes just the question mm-hmm. uh, can really get the wheels in the, in the brain moving. Yeah. Um, and that's what she did with her poetry. Yeah. You know, she asked a lot of questions and made people have to deal with, you know, yeah. their own morality. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's I, I think ultimately the story is a tragedy. I think the silver lining is the legacy that she left, you know, because we're talking about events that happened 250 years ago. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, that's pretty amazing. There's I, I can't think of a lot of other like authors 250 years ago that, you know, uh, at, at this level are, are being discussed still so long after. So, so she's the, only, the, the second woman in the colonies to yeah. ever be uh, published. Yeah. The first African-American to be published. Yeah. That is just that by itself yeah. is, is that's what confuses me. Why I haven't ever heard well, of this woman. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, part of what adds to the tragedy of, of her brief life is that you you got to kind of wonder if the, if the landscape had been even subtly different. It's like, what if she'd stayed in England, you know? Right. What if she came back and it wasn't the start of the Revolutionary War? Like, her, what she was able to accomplish and the way that she was able to sort of make people confront their own prejudice, you know, right. if that had been able to, like, grow and continue, we might have seen more significant changes earlier in the course of the country that really could have been a game changer, you know, but because, because she gave that up out of her loyalty to the Wheatleys to come back. And then just as she's making this progress, the world falls apart in the midst of the revolutionary war. It kind of blunts both of those things. And we don't really have another like her you know who's allowed right. by like right. white society who's allowed to kind of race to the top the way she does for a long time oh right right you know and that, i think that also speaks to yeah her, how genius she was yeah. um how compelling her writings was yeah and also to be clear when she did come back uh mrs wheatley uh did give her her freedom papers yeah, yeah. um so in her early 20s she was a free woman yeah and she had already been published. A mm-hmm. couple facts is um, when she went to England to get published, they, you know, she, she got published and she had crates of books yeah. uh, that was to come back to the colonies. Those books was on the same boat as the, the tea from the yeah. Boston Tea yeah, Party. Yeah, yeah. So she ended up getting those books off of that boat yeah. maybe weeks before oh, yeah. uh, the Boston Tea Party happened. Yeah. So. You yeah, know, I mean, a it's couple more weeks really. and we would have yeah. never even, you know, yeah. knew of her work. So. Yeah, that's true. And, and like true. you say, uh, you know, is there's a lot of tragedy in her story, but triumph always yeah. trumps tragedy. So yeah. it, a lot of things happened. It, they happened for a reason and, and it changed the world. Yeah. After the death of the Wheatleys, she she was married and they lost three children. Yeah. And infancy. Yeah. yeah. Which is horrible. And she. She dies while her husband is in debtor's prison, and she is sort of penniless and alone. Right, in her early 30s. Yeah, which is just, I mean, look at all that she'd accomplished, right. you know what I mean? And, and it was kind of like her life was just starting. Yes, <laughs> and, and for this story to, to like take a curveball like that and end is just like the epitome of a tragedy. It's, right. it's horrible. But that, that's, that's why I say, you know, I, I always try to 
squeeze yeah. the good out of yeah. it. And to see what this woman was able to accomplish, yeah. how she was able to make people, you know, have people confront, you know, their own inner souls and mm-hmm. what was going on with them, and, you know, and, and the moral uh, part of themselves. Just that by itself, even though, you know, she passed away at an early age and everything, she had impacted the world already in those 30 years, you know, to the point where the universe maybe didn't need anything else Mm -hmm. from her, Mm -hmm. you know. So for her to, you know, pass away is is not necessarily a tragedy. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Because, again, the legacy, you know, the, the legacy is something that you know, has lasted 250 years at this point. You right. know, it doesn't, exactly. it right now. doesn't show any signs of stopping. Right. Let's talk about the poetry itself. What did you think of the, anything strike you about her writing? I think when people read poetry, they want it to make sense. Yeah. You know, so the thing I always say about poetry is, is poetry is like brainstorming and just writing it down. Mm-hmm. You know, your mind might yeah. be going in different places and you're just writing all those thoughts down. Yeah. So it's it's really open to interpretation, mm-hmm. and that's the beautiful thing about poetry is it's for everyone to interpret in their own way. Yeah, um, and a lot of her poems, just the optimism mm-hmm. in her poetry, was, I agree. That was really special. That's to me. a good word for it. Yeah, it it, it just really was uplifting, and uh, it, it was like she tried to shine a light on the goodness yeah. of the world and people. Yeah. You know, I think typically when we're getting when we're giving glimpses of, you know, whether whether it's it's writing or, or music or whatever it is coming from enslaved people, we tend to get a certain variety that, that tends to be laments and things that are perfectly understandable. Right. And we I don't think we often get examples like this where you do you have somebody who's writing essentially as if she's not right. enslaved. You know exactly. what I mean? She's writing as She's writing as someone whose soul is free. You right. know what I mean? And I think that, that that comes across in everything that she writes. And she's also really not afraid to take some pokes at people's prejudice. You know, right. you know in some of it, it's like it seems very thinly veiled that she's saying, like, you, you claim to be, you know, a Christian society, but this is the way you're treating people. Right. You know, and for her to put that in writing and have right. it be, like, published and accepted by, like, a, a primarily white audience is just... I mean, the guts it took for her to do that and the undeniable, like, genius that she had to actually make that happen and get across on on a page and have it be something that people read is amazing. It's amazing. Uh, Not to mention, as the revolution was starting, that's why she even met uh, Washington. Yeah. Um, It's because she she wrote a poem about, you know, the, the fight for independence. Yeah. And, you know, she was trying to help them understand the correlation between... What, the, what African people was going through and what the colonies was going through. Yeah. So, um, you know, even the personification of uh, the Columbia, mm-hmm. um, she wrote a poem about that. Yeah. And that's the first time people started to look at, you know, like uh, Columbia um, as a goddess, mm-hmm. you know, and she wrote a poem about con- comparing, you know, Columbia to the United States yeah. and the fight for freedom mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So that's... I thought that was amazing, too, yeah. because, you know, that's, you know, it kind of changed through time to uh, Uncle Sam and the Statue of Liberty. But right. before 100 years, yeah. before that happened, you know, it was all about, yeah. you know, the land of Columbia. That's a good so, point. And that was one of her first, like, really popular poems. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, again, I mean, she's just, she's a fascinating historical figure. You know, her place in history, I think, is undeniable. And I think we've both enjoyed digging in and and learning things about her really for the first time. But again, I, I encourage everybody to to come and attend the lecture uh, that we're having with uh, with Dr. Richards, who you know Malik and I are still students of, yes. uh, at this point. Yes, for sure. Uh, and uh, Dr. Richards is is really you know he's he's a scholar and he's an expert on this. And yes. so you know if the story is is interesting to you, I think that you know he'll be the one to really drive it home. So again, that's April twenty second, seven o'clock in the exhibition room, and space is limited. So keep that in mind. Any final thoughts on Phyllis Wheatley? I, I do want to say I think this is a really important story for minorities and also for women. The first published poet before we was even the United States when we were just colonies yeah. was a woman. Yeah. So that's the, that's the matriarch. Like, yeah. It, it's, that's really um, amazing and but that's, for people to know that is important. And I think, you know, when you, when you look at history and the way history is recorded and told, I mean, you, you can't deny that there, that there is a prejudice even in the writing of history. Right. You know, the history of the time was, was written by white men who put things a, a certain way, a way they were comfortable with, a way they liked. So I think there's all sorts of historical figures like Phyllis Wheatley, who hopefully now are going to start more and more getting the the attention and the respect that they've always deserved. So right. that's that's encouraging to see. Yes, it is. Yep. Very much. Okay. Again, Dr. Richards will be here on April 22nd, and we have Phyllis Wheatley works right here in the collection, as well as some displays of other poetry here during Poetry Month. So stop in and check it out. Yes. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode, but next week, in one of the off weeks, we're going to have a special From the Stacks episode where Malik is going to share some of his original poetry. Yes. So uh, make sure you come back for that. Malik, as always, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Thank you.